Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby the podcast. Now today, we're a special episode. Yes, ahead of Series 5 in January, I thought I'd get a new person on and just, you know, fill the void that we're all feeling because Happy Mum and Happy Baby isn't in our lives. Today's guest, she's on Instagram and I've followed her for quite a while and she documents life with her little boy called Jackson who was born with um, a very large heart and multiple diagnosis and I want to get to know her a bit more and find out what it's like to live with Jackson. It's Katie Jones. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So we'll basically go all the way back to your childhood. And you can tell me what your childhood was like. (laughs) Childhood. Went to a Catholic primary and secondary school. Mm -hmm. Very religious family at the time. I feel like they've evolved. Oh, really? Yeah. That's Um, interesting. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got one older brother from my dad's side yeah. and then I've got a younger brother and then I've got an eight-year-old sister. Oh, I've got a feeling she might be 10 or 11. Be <laughs> <laughs> oh, she might be a bit older than that. I hope she's listen. <laughs> She'll be very angry with me. She's, she's around. Listen. She's young. She's younger. <laughs> she's very young. In the first decade of life or something okay. like that, maybe the second. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's about 16 years between me and her. Oh, Eight wow. years between me and my brother. 
and then my older brother a, a few years as well. So uh, there's quite a broad range. But my mum got with my married my stepdad when I was about five. Okay, but I've never lived with in the house with my little sister because there's such a big age gap. I yeah. left home when I was like sixteen. Yeah, so um, she was. Fairly... You left home when you were sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> it was dramatic. Oh, it was, really. It was, a terrible twos at 16, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we all look back at things we did at 16. I know. Aww. So did you used to have quite a volatile relationship with your mum? Yeah, we've both... I was her firstborn, and she had quite a interesting upbringing. Right. <laughs> and also, obviously, she separated from my dad. So it was all just very different dynamics at the time. It was interesting. It would have been challenging. Yeah, challenging yeah, time. definitely. For both of us, I think. Yeah. For me, having brothers and sisters it's almost that perfect family dynamic mum dad boy girl yeah but I was there before of that yeah. I think it definitely plays a role in who we become as parents yeah for sure like and we, and having had that experience growing up did you feel like you wanted children of your own did you want a family yeah I did but I was very much set on the idea that I would be married and have children and that we would live happily ever after mm. <laughs> and I would do everything in my power to make sure that was the case and that's the thing I I'll think we all kind of get we have those ideals in our heads mm. and sometimes it's just about realizing that those ideals are literally just an idea yeah and you've got to actually embrace what is there and what you have I was so set on it that it could have been really damaging really? to be in that position and and so almost narrow-minded and that, that this has to be how it is and because you're just restricting yourself really and you're putting yourself in quite a difficult position if that's not how it's working out. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was with Jackson's dad for about six years before we had Jackson. We were engaged, but you know, things don't work out. And at the time, I think I sought reassurance in that, you know, there are people that are together for 20 years and then yeah. they get divorced. Like you just, you can't plan your life mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to take it where it goes. Yeah. Um, so did you had you two talked about having kids? Yeah, I think well over the six years in that time we didn't plan Jackson. I was in my final year of university. Not um, ideal time. Not <laughs> ideal time. But I did negotiate with the university, so we were like, I was supposed to finish before I had him. Like, right. He was due in the September, and I would have finished my nursing degree at the end of the September. Right. Because nursing's a bit different with the time scales. It just goes on for ridiculously long. <laughs> um, and so like we brought early my final placement so that I would finish I think like July but that didn't work out either I mean there's a lot that didn't work yeah. out isn't there? and so I, I just had to have him and uh, and go was back he, to the was he early? he wasn't he was 37 plus 4 so he was at the oh, full term yeah but the pregnancy was just not what Instagram told me well, pregnancy first was first of all let's talk about finding out you were pregnant because yeah. if it was a surprise as well yeah. how did you feel in that moment knowing that you had your nursing studying that you were meant to be doing. When I found out I was pregnant with Max, that wasn't planned. And it was literally like your whole plan for that next year gets flipped on its head. Yeah. And it can have a really weird effect on you. I say we were engaged. We literally just got engaged like two days before I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're like, that didn't get any any attention whatsoever. But I think that did provide a bit of reassurance for me. Like we just got engaged And I was definitely anxious of how the year was going to pan out. But actually, it just felt so right at the time. Like, I I don't know whether it was because I was in that little engagement bubble or it was Christmas and New Year and it was all (laughs) like, woo! Um, But it was quite enjoyable. To say it wasn't planned, because you you do have this concept that if it's not planned, then everything's up in the air and, you know, it's crazy and it's devastating and 
it's not good overall mm-hmm. or you're just like what am I going to do but feelings wise it, it felt right that's good yeah and then when did it all flip on its head and become a horrible <laughs> pregnancy because <laughs> um, you really did too. not enjoy being pregnant I hated it I just feel like I wasn't prepared and I think there's a lot of that in motherhood where if you're on the outside looking in you can be given this impression that it's you know if you look at a magazine cover and it's all glamorous and everyone's these perfectly oiled no stretch mark bellies and perfect bumps and yeah everyone's smiling yeah and I just I did have nausea but it was like that constant nausea where I couldn't eat so I'd have like a cracker a day for like four months and I like food so I was really disappointed <laughs> That. Like, so I think as well, I, I think if you're it. just nauseous, it's almost that you'd rather be sick. Yeah. And my housemate was saying that to me all the time. She's like, I bet you just want to be sick. And mm. I was like, yeah, so it could be over with at some point yeah. in the day, but it was just constant. But, you know, I think with that, you do kind of look for that three-month mark, don't you? Yeah. And if there's an end in sight, <laughs> hopefully. I think it went on for a bit longer, but then I got SPD really early. Right. Symphys pubis dysfunction, where, like, your hips can't hold the weight or they're just too flexible up. Don't ask me what did you have to do? Did you have to have a band or? So because it started so early on. Oh, I got the other thing as well. Is it sciatica where you get the sharp pains yeah, down your legs? Yeah. I I didn't even have a bump and I had that. And I was like, are you kidding me? What is this? And there was another girl in my cohort that was pregnant. And she had this perfect bump and she just looked so lovely. And I was just like, I'm in pain and you can't even tell I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, this isn't part of the deal. Also, I think you have this idea of what you will look like pregnant. Yeah. So I used to do pole fitness. I don't want to say pole dance because that's going to give the wrong impression. But I used to do pole fitness yeah. in a class of women. <laughs> like, not in the club. It's loads of fun. It's yeah, loads of fun. it was yeah. really fun. And I felt really strong from it and it was great for confidence. And I was quite flexible. So I felt like I was quite agile. And I had had this impression because I was part of at that time like a pole community and you know there were pregnant people that were climbing a pole in labour like (laughs) these amazing crazy people and that's what I thought I would be (laughs) and I was like 12 weeks no bumping like oh this isn't fair I feel very sorry for myself (laughs) and then so once it progressed further I think it was my 16 week scan I had a bit too much fluid so I went from not having a bump at all to all of a sudden looking six months when I was four months. Right. And it was just painful. Oh, really? It was just really painful. I wasn't expecting the pain that came with the pregnancy that I had. Obviously, some people would be different. I did expect to be going to pole or do anything. I was exhausted all of the time. And I don't know whether it's because I was so big that yeah. I had the extra fluid and maybe it was like I being guess nine months pregnant that for ages. Instant, yeah, that because you get gradually bigger. Yeah. Whereas if you were instantly... I just all that extra liquid and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just... I remember going into town one time because I didn't drive at the time and I walked into Leicester City Centre it's about a 20 minute walk but when you don't drive you naturally do walk a lot of places it's more convenient than public transport and um, I remember walking into town and and I think I got to the centre and I didn't even go to the shop I wanted to do to I just cried on the spot because I was just like (gasps) I don't want to take another step like it just hurts (laughs) like I'm so sick of it because it would come on quite suddenly as well like from a nurse perspective I've always been told that you know you keep moving and it will help you you know and it just hurt so much. And the more you would walk. So it was almost like being bed bound. But yeah. no one really saying you have to be. So trying to push yourself. What were your thoughts on the labour? To be honest, I was blessed with a quick labour. But 
it was induction, so about a week before. They wanted to induce me, I think, about 39 weeks. I was, getting, I was still getting bigger, and I think because these tests had come back negative, they were just like, why is it? Why right. is it? So they got, like, a surgeon involved. But it's really interesting when I think back to think, you know, we did have all these people involved, and I was just clueless. Like, I, And I was blissfully unaware, and I... I know a lot of people wish that there were tests in pregnancy and things, but I just think personally, if you wouldn't change anything, you're better off not knowing. And a lot of the time you can't change anything anyway, you know, if things are found out late or whatever. And so we had like a meeting with a surgeon and he was just explaining that one of the reasons that we might have excessive fluid is if like he hasn't got a bum hole or, you know, there's a no exit route or something along the way is not working so that the amniotic fluid isn't flowing as it should. Um, Instead, it's just building up. So we had a bit of a chat like that. I had to sign a few consent forms, you know, that he might need operating on. I think there were a few things that, like, one of his kidneys were enlarged. So it might be a urine tract thing or it might be the other end. So there was all of those things. So we went into it. He was induced. And I did, because we had, like, a consultant during pregnancy. Um, I was high risk because of the extra fluid. I was at high risk of going into premature labour. I had no idea at the time about, like, the complications that come with premature labour. And at the time, I was just like, oh, I hope he comes soon. (laughs) <laughs> I really and I was pleading with the consultant he was like okay so we're going to probably induce you around 39 weeks and not let it go any longer yeah and I was like can we do sooner like 36 something like, <laughs> like negotiating yeah. how, how quickly can we get him out <laughs> um, and we agreed on 37 and then induction dates kind of worked out but um I was induced at about two o'clock and I think my water broke at 10 so right. he'd been like his dad had been sent home and when my water broke, they didn't have any room for me on the labour suite. And they said that it was going to be hours anyway. Like, I'd be in labour all night. So I was bouncing on this ball in a bay of four with three other women in beds around me trying to go to sleep. And my water's going everywhere. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> dignity. <laughs> Gone. Uh, so welcome to motherhood. Um, and then I think I had him at 2am. I remember everything just was rushed. So they were expecting that it was going to take hours. And then all of a sudden it was like push. And, you know, it's that point where you go, I think I'm in labour. And they're going, no, you got a You're bit fine. more fun. You're still talking. You're, You're fine. fine. And I wasn't, I was screaming. I was screaming <laughs> at the courage. And they were just kind of like, oh, can you just, you know, shut it off a bit. <laughs> like, you've got a while yet. And I'm like, I haven't. I really haven't. And then she looked and she was like, oh, you need to push. <gasps> yeah, I was trying to tell you that. <laughs> So um, that wasn't pleasant. Mm. And I do remember thinking, if someone told me right now, screaming up the corridors in agony, if someone told me right now, if I click my fingers, I'll go back 10 months and I'll prevent being pregnant, I would click my fingers. (laughs) 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 Obviously now I wouldn't, but at that moment in pain, that's where my head was at. Oh my God, if I can click my fingers and make this stop. Because there's no backing out once you're at that point. No, no. You just... There is a baby coming out of your food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't send it and back we do up. get told this from a very young age. <laughs> we do. So it's, not, it's not something that should be surprising. But uh, at that moment in time... What was it like when uh, you first held Jackson in your arms? I didn't get that feeling that everybody talks about. That's, that's fine. I was just like... Alien. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a trauma. I mean, um, yeah. a surgeon, because of his high risk, uh, we had to have doctors and surgeons in there ready but obviously they weren't prepared they like literally I think about 20 minutes before I had him been, the midwife had said oh we'll come back and check in you on like two hours or four hours or something and it was only because I grabbed the student and I was like you need to have that so I think it just all went very quickly and literally five minutes before a surgeon had shoved his hand up my foot oh. and, and poured so I was just like oh 
Like, yeah. it's over? Is it over? Because yeah. my legs are still, you know, there's still someone faffing <laughs> around. And I'm just, what's going on? And then all of a sudden they all disappear and you're just left with this baby and you're just like, oh. What was it like when you actually left that first time? So I think it was on, like, day three and I only had one night home with him and I just remember I couldn't put him down. As soon as I put him down, he'd cry. So it was almost like that comfort. But yeah. I wasn't sure what it was at that time. I had no idea. Now, looking back, I don't know if he was actually feeding. So whether he was crying because he was still hungry, he was coming off the boot, mm. but he, he was still hungry, which makes more sense to me. But I, I just remember not sleeping. So you go through this period, don't we, what you were like... I had him at like 2am, so I'd been up that morning waiting for induction, had him the next morning, didn't sleep then because I'd got a newborn baby next to me and I was terrified of sleeping. I don't, what like, who's looking after him while I sleep? (laughs) Um, And then the next couple of nights he had jaundice, so we had to be rarely on top of his feeds. And then we went home and he wouldn't come off me without crying. Funnily enough, he slept in the morning, uh, of course. (laughs) But, you know, you're like four or five days of no sleep at that point and you're just like, who am I? Yeah. But it was just overwhelming, the whole thing. I think it, I don't think I would feel the same if I had another one. Right. I think it is just that instant newborn, first time, no idea what the hell I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And because I was in another city, like, I think my mum was on holiday at the time. So, like, there wasn't that... Family came the day I had him and, like, saw him during the day and took their pictures or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, when it came to the night time and days later, it was just me... And him and his dad and I was just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what this is. That silence actually of having it's a bit eerie. Yeah, like, can I sleep now? Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> can I eat? <laughs> oh, is he gonna cry in a minute? <laughs> like, what's gonna but yeah, it is. You just you all of a sudden you feel like you've got the weight of your world on your shoulders and you're on your own, like mm. almost. How long were you home before um you realised something wasn't quite right? So it would literally be a couple of days because he had John's first, I'm guessing, like three days at this point. When I look back, I just it's all a bit of a blur. About three days. And then I know we went home for that night and I had mm-hmm. that torturous night. The next night, I think I was getting him ready for bed and I changed his nappy and there was like a lump in his groin. And I was just like, what is that? I'm sure that mm. shouldn't be there. So I called 111 and they told me to take him to A&E. We got in and we spent the night that night, but it was a hernia. So they, but there's like a time limit. So if they couldn't put it back in there and then, he would need it urgently. Right. But because they could put it back in at the time, he just needed it within like six weeks. But at that time, I mentioned that he wasn't feeding properly. Well, I didn't know it wasn't properly, but I was just saying, you know, I'm waking him for feeds. I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm having to stir him and tickle his cheek and stuff to get him. And they were like, oh, well, we'll just observe overnight. And they were more concerned about that than the hernia. They did blood tests, which were absolutely horrific. I remember it took about an hour for them to get bloods. And and then I think they let me go at like 4 or 5 a.m. Bear in mind, there'd only been like one or two feeds in that time. But they were like, oh, we think he's fine. We went home. And then the next night I was in Nottingham at my mum's house because his dad had to go back to London for something with work. So I went to my mum, stayed there. That was the only night I had at home and I felt a bit more better. I remember I've got pictures of me like reading a baby book and him like breastfeeding. And I had all these lovely photos and I think that was my first like what felt like a normal night. I felt it was feeding. I think I got a bit of sleep, which always helps. And then the next day I had like a couple of friends around to visit and we were going through labor stories and all of that and that was all really nice mum was making cups of tea which isn't her normal either (laughs) so she was really going out of her way (laughs) to make a nice setting and um, I don't know what it was but something just didn't feel right I had no idea at the time I was really cautious I'd had a cold sore from like being really run down from the labor 
And I, just, I hadn't kissed him. I'd actually not kissed him at all. And I just started getting panicked. You know, you've seen the newspaper articles or you've read the headlines about things like this. And I was just like panicking because he did seem a little bit off. And I was like, what if it's that? And then I was like reading and it was like, they won't have a temperature. They won't have any of these things. say I had never known anything. Oh, had you not? No. Oh, I don't know why I've seen them then. But yeah, if it passes on to a newborn, it can be quite devastating. They can't really fight the infection so right. early on. Which wouldn't really make sense in my case either because he would have my antibodies, you would think. So mm. I was just very irrationally <laughs> worrying. And I called 111 and I think they just thought I was a bit crazy. And then my friend looked in his mouth and there were like some white bumps or something. And I was just like, oh my God, went to the chemist. The chemist was like, well, as they do, we're like, well, I'm not concerned. I don't think it's that, but if you're worried, you should go to the hospital because obviously... Everyone passes it on. Yeah, yeah. everybody passes it on. No one wants to be the person that says it's fine and yeah. doesn't give you an alternate, so it's on your it's yeah, on your yeah. shoulders. And then we got back and I tried like a reflex test with him, which doctors do in hospital, and he didn't respond to it. And then all of a sudden that was it. I was just like, I need to get into hospital. Got him in the car seat. I was like, he was so floppy. I was holding his head up in the car seat. And I was so lucky we got there and I called Lester on the way because they'd done blood tests a couple of nights before. And my mum was like writing them down in the front of the car so that when we got to Nottingham because they'd never known anything of him, they would have something to go by. And they could see that they were abnormal and they did say, but again, he perked up under the blooming lights. They always do, don't they? You get to hospital, they perk up and you're just like, I've not even known you like this. You're six (laughs) days old. I thought you to hospital because I'm scared and now all of a sudden you're a whole new person. (laughs) Look at all this Um, but I was so lucky they did listen to me and that's and then we were in for I think about six weeks and we got home for a couple of nights and then you're really flying through that (laughs) so we got seen and then we were there for six weeks and (laughs) it's just a lot there's a lot there's a lot but yeah no they did they did do all the tests I was so so lucky so the blood test that you'd had in Leicester they showed abnormalities and they probably should have phoned you yeah they should have when I was on the phone he literally said to me he was like did you say you're on the way to the hospital and I was like, he's like, oh, good. Right. <laughs> what were those abnormalities? Um, so it was to do with his liver. Because of jaundice, there's two different types of bilirubin, which affect jaundice. And one of them is like the common jaundice. And one of them is not. And right. it was the other one that was abnormal to show something wasn't right with his liver. So then they, they did everything. I was so impressed because he wasn't presenting anything. But obviously I did have these blood results. And they do have to be cautious. He was only six days old. Mm. So I guess that does work in our favour but they did um, a urine sample which showed positive for the CMV but that was a few days later we got the results for that in the meantime they were like telling me like his facial features should we do some genetic tests but they did um, a heart scan which looked like he had a hole in his heart they did a blood test which showed his liver abnormalities a kidney scan which showed that he had bilateral kidney reflux so when the urine goes down to the bladder it go back up which can cause infection and it was grade four so it was quite severe and on both sides. And they did an MRI, which showed two cysts on his brain. The urine sample, like I say, came back with uh, cytomegalovirus CMV, which had been shown up negative in pregnancy. It felt like every test they did, something came back and he just kept losing weight. So, you know, when a newborn, like the first week or something, they lose mm-hmm. weight and then they gain it within a couple of days. He just never gained and he just kept losing. He was just getting smaller and smaller, bless him. And that just went on for a really long time. And we still have that problem now with his weight and his Mm. feeding. They've just been ongoing issues. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It must have been really hard and overwhelming as a new mum seeing your newborn in Mm. that situation. I think it, it was, but it was all still so surreal. And I think I was still... Now I look back, I'd say like denial for a long time. But I think I just had like rose tinted glasses on where everything, although all these things were coming out, logically I could reason them to make them short term things. So like his kidney reflux, the doctors were saying to me like it can go away within like a year. Like they're just a growing thing. Yeah. Um, And it can sort of heal itself. The hole in its heart can heal itself. The cysts on the brain, we don't really know what impact they'll have. It'll be development watching. So there's nothing we can really do about that. The CMV he was being treated for, but they literally, it was so rare, the hospital hadn't dealt with it and the pharmacy hadn't dealt with it before. So probably one of the only things that bothered me was how much medication was being pumped into him because I didn't know what was best for him. You know, you get all these things where like pumping drugs into a child is is like the last thing you would ever want to do. Mm-hmm. And now you're in a position where that's what you're told is going to help them. So that was hard. But other than that, I just, in my head, I'd reason that everything was going to fix itself. And that's how I kind of got through it. Was there a moment where you realised that it wasn't going to be a short term, it will fix itself? I think knowing it and accepting it were two different things. So I probably found out when he had bronchitis, they did another heart scan to check on the heart on his heart. It was way early. They were going to wait for a year. But they figured as he'd been in for a long time, they'd just double check. And they found out that he had a severe hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, which means his heart's four times the size it should be. And it was life-threatening. We had um, a doctor from Leicester, the the cardiac centre, Glenfield, come over and speak to me about it. And she was just like, there's nothing we can do about it. But, you know, it's quite serious. And it it can um, cause sudden infant death. And so that was a lot to take on. I think that's probably the worst news I've had out of everything. But that triggered them to do another genetics test. So they did another one. Then we found out that he had 1P36 deletion syndrome. And I think that's probably when I got an idea that it was going to go on for a long time. It was going to be life because it was, it's a cause of disability. It's a rare chromosome deletion. But if you imagine that someone's got part of their chromosome deletion, which makes up who you are and what you do and how you can do things that's for life really there's no change that you can't put a chromosome back (laughs) do you know what I mean like there's no finding it really there's no fix there's no cure so I kind of knew from then and obviously but I think his heart condition kind of masked over that so that was the main issue but also I think when you've when you're faced with things that are life and death the things that are going to last long term aren't the worst case scenario so so you just okay well what I am left with isn't 
that bad, you know? Like, it's not life and death. Yeah. We've got, well, his heart is still obviously always going to be sort of hanging over us. But I think when you get so many different things going on, it kind of puts things into perspective. Mm -hmm. So one minute you're worrying that they're going to be disabled, the next minute you're worrying that they're going to die. And then all of a sudden, it's not that bad. Like, yeah. So I guess around the three-month mark, but I think I probably started accepting it only recently. Really? Um, I think I was so clouded by the fear of him passing away and something taking his life that I never really addressed what could be lifelong because that wasn't my prior concern. Like, I, it was all revolving his heart and everything else. And then as we've... I've learned to sort of live with his heart mm. and we do what we do and we get by and we're living a, as close to a normal life as we can with that, then I start to see, okay, so what we're actually living with is the disability side of things, is him being developmentally delayed and he's managing it. And then that's where it kind of comes into accepting that. But I'm not sure I would have handled it so well, in, in a really weird way, if we hadn't had those other threats. Yeah. Because it's it's all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. After that big stint in hospital and you were settled at home, mm. was it overwhelming knowing that there was so much you had to do? Yeah, part of the weight was taken off by is having carers from before we left hospital. I said, I can't do this on my own. Like, it's not possible, that care plan. He's not going to get his needs but met. But did they think you would be able to do it? Yeah, so they wanted to discharge us and I said no. Like, I, And what I, is his day-to-day... Sort of what does he need? Overnight, it changes like every week. The carers are just like, what's going on? Um, so at the moment, he's on a blended diet. So it's just puree and food, thin enough to go through a tube, which is a bit of a difficult balance because obviously you do that with yours until they're a certain age mm -hmm. and then they have solid foods. But we're not quite at that stage and he, he only tolerates a certain amount in his stomach because he's got problems with it emptying. Um, so it's really slow. So hours later, because they'll have food from lunch right. in, in his tummy. So blending it down, pureeing it, and then putting that through the tube. And that takes about an hour for Does each meal. that tube meal. goes straight into his yeah, tummy? So yeah, so it's straight into his tummy. His meal times take about two and a half hours because he has to have the amount of fluid that he requires for his kidneys, which is, as an example, a typical child his age requires about a litre of fluid. But they can have more or have less, and their, their kidneys will work with that, whereas mm -hmm. Jackson's not in that place. So he has to have 1,500 mils of fluid. So it's like an extra half yeah. and if he has less his kidneys won't cope and if he has more his kidneys won't cope so it's very specific and regimented so he has to have the water going in and then also for his physical development we need to do an hour of physio every day according to his physiotherapist like he needs the hour plan and an hour in his stander we very rarely get to do the hour in his stander as well as that because it's two hours of a day and he's got about four hours that he's not being fed. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the, you still want to do things like go to the park. How do you do things like that? How do you... like? You just have to take everything with us. Right. Um, and you do get used to it, especially once you're in a routine. Obviously, the nights that I don't have carers, which is at the moment three nights a week, we do less. If we've had a carer the night before, I'll try and do what we can on those. But it, it just varies because then you've got the physio, but then also we have appointments. And a lot of things knock things off. So like on Thursday, he's got bloods at 9.15. So I'm going to have to do his food a little bit earlier because otherwise the bloods will make him vomit. And, or we could be waiting there for hours and it will knock onto his lunch. Yeah. So it, you just have to juggle as you would with everything, really. But that I think that's where it comes into like two jobs. You're a mum and you want to spend the time together and you want to go to the park and you want them to go to nursery and you want them to learn and you want to teach them things, but then you're also a carer because in order for them to thrive, 
They need you to be doing that physio. They need that care plan done specifically and you need to advocate for them because other people will try and say they're better doing this and you see them 24 hours and mm -hmm. you see each individual doctor. So like you have a meeting with one doctor and they'll want one thing, but that doesn't coincide with what the other doctor... So as parent, you are like the middleman. Yeah. You're the person that, that hears everything. So you have to go, well, actually, and you like negotiate with different people. Well, actually, that person says that, so can we do that? And he doesn't tolerate that if I do that at night. So if I swap that with that, and you end up in control of a lot of things. And it is, it's a full-time job, but it's not without its rewards because just like your typical child with the milestones, they have these very unique milestones that you're just like... <laughs> He's two year old old. He said second word. Like <laughs> it doesn't mean anything when he said it. Like he, the other day I was doing ready study go and he's learned to say go, which we've been trying for about a year and a half now. And I was just like overwhelmed with joy. Like, oh my God. Those hours and days and years. What was his <laughs> first word? Uh, his first word was book. Oh, which I was quite impressed. Okay, I was like, yes, you little smarty buns. <laughs> you do like the word book. <laughs> but um, he soon lost it. So he loses things as well yeah, and they okay. get replaced by different things. So his latest one was Pepper for Peppa Pig. Before that it was Ben, but then Ben got replaced by okay. Peppa Pig. <laughs> and now Pepper's a bit like disorientated because Peppa Pig will be on the telly and say, what do you want? Pepper. And so now Pepper's everything. Like okay. Pepper's just getting him what he wants. And he's just like, oh. But like he's learned to sign, please. But he doesn't know how to sign or say what he wants. <laughs> so he's just like hitting himself please, to please. say please. And you're like, what do you want? So he's constantly guessing guys. I feel like it's possibly like having a very young child. And sometimes I try and take that all in as being a good thing. If that sort of, you know, everybody wants to have that baby forever. And sometimes it is goes both ways with a lot of things if I'm having a bit of a sensitive day then someone's saying like oh I want them to be a baby forever it's like no you don't because yeah. <laughs> that means disability <laughs> and you don't wish that on a child uh, but then on other days I'm just like I've got that baby like for a lot longer and maybe you know hopefully we do hope and I I am very hopeful and that he will progress and be able to do more things he definitely shows me that he will and with the right input he will but at the moment, just enjoy the now because a lot of people, they do wish for this. They wish that their baby was home all the time and they didn't go to work or, you know, and it's always just trying to see the, we always want what we don't have, don't mm. we? No matter what position we're in. And it's just trying to be like, okay, other people would quite like to stay at home. Okay, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. They want to take away your carers. Yeah. So at the moment you have three nights a week you have a carer. We have four, four. nights a week. and then... So three nights you don't sleep. Yeah. Because you're doing those feeds. Yeah. And you want to make sure that he's not being sick. Yeah. And also, like, it's not... I think they almost think it's a choice sometimes. And you're just like, if I don't do that, he's going to lose weight. And if he loses weight, he's malnourished. Additionally, if I don't do that, he's going to be dehydrated. If he's dehydrated, it's in hospital. So it's frustrating on both sides because it's like, if I don't do these things, you do realise he's going to cost a lot more money in hospital. Uh, he's not going to thrive as well as he is doing because the only reason he's thriving is because I've got these hours to be able to input into other things. But yeah, they want to take him off. They don't seem to think that he needs them, <laughs> which is terribly frustrating when you know the consequences of, of him not having his care needs met. Well, and on you... As a yeah. human. Oh, nobody cares about me <laughs> without as getting a, the violin out. No, as a human, like, I know if my kids 
are up a few times in the night. The next day, I'm emotional. I'm a wreck. Yeah. If it's a couple of days on the trot, I'm, you know. Yeah. So for you knowing that that's, that's something that you do anyway, three days a week. Yeah. You know that you're going to be up all night. Yeah. And now being told that that's going to be your every night. Yeah. Exhaustion yeah. is a horrible thing. And we all know that from when we first had the children and, you know, you're up and you do those three hourly feeds. And I know uh, people that have had sickness books recently and they've messaged me like, how do you do this? Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I can't. Um, it's frustrating when it feels like your basic human rights aren't being met because to be able to feed yourself and eat, you know, I'm not saying I want to live a life of luxury, just saying I want to be able to cope, stay alive, <laughs> ideally, please. Um, Does it feel like you're constantly having to fight though? Yeah. And that's the problem. That's where it's hard. That's the difficulty. It's it's almost like fighting the system that these children are worthy of these funds. And realistically, you just think, well, hold on. Because when we went on to when I went on to that ITV this morning, Philip Schofield said, you know, well, where are they going to find this money? And it's almost like no one asks where they're going to find the money to meet everybody else's basic human rights. We have to meet people's basic human rights. That's it. But then as soon as you expect it for disabled people, it's like, well, where's the money? Mm. You should find that shouldn't even be a question. That should be covered before we're cutting the grass at the local park, mm. <laughs> paying a caretaker at this place, and holding open these ceremonies or anything. The basic human rights should be met. And as far as I'm concerned, Jackson's care needs are his basic human rights. Without his care being met, he's not here. I think it's frustrating in that respect because it feels like something that should be a standard. And yet, when you complain about it, it's treated as if you're entitled, you're mm. acting entitled, or you're expecting things that shouldn't be there. And it's basic human rights. Do you feel like you can kind of ever settle into it? Or is it constantly changing? It does constantly. I do have hope. It doesn't change as much now as it used to. Mm. It's still quite regularly. But I do have hope. And other people have said that as they get older, it gets more manageable and you can get a routine. Because obviously once he gets to a certain age as well, he can go to like a special needs school or even a mainstream school. But, you know, those kind of things, they make it a little bit, give you a little bit more time. And just like his feeding, there's always something that you're working on. So I'm hoping that one day he will walk. I'm, I'm working on that with his physio. He goes to... Seen him start, like, that was a conductive education that he goes to once a week. I love it. It's my favourite time of the week. <laughs> he hates it. He oh, does really? hate it. Like, I think it's also hard when they can't communicate to know whether you're doing something right because it's almost like when we first went, he just cried the whole session. And I was like, is he crying because this is hurting him? Or is he crying because he's frustrated because it's a lot of work and he doesn't want to do it? And not knowing the difference yeah. is really difficult because you're questioning yourself. And I don't often do that. I normally am quite confident in my decisions. But when it comes to something like that, I'm just like, I don't know. And then over the time, he cries less and he does more. And it's just like, oh, it's so rewarding for something that so many people take for granted because it's just expected and that is the thing with this life you planned everything to go a certain way and it is completely different don't get me wrong like I don't know what normal motherhood is you know knowing that it's such a balance is it tricky for you to go to sleep in another room and know that someone else is in charge of what could be a life and death situation for him it is and it isn't sometimes I feel like I don't have a choice so often mm. on the nights I've got carers I actually just stop like I can literally really? just lie down and go to sleep because essentially my well-being is spent on those nights and I'm so tired that I'm just like right sleep time that's it switch off and I won't hear him cry I won't hear him be sick I won't hear anything it's almost like psychologically my brain knows there's someone with oh. him yeah <laughs> like this is you time <laughs> go to sleep um but equally we have had problems with carers, you know, he has been put in hospital by errors and that is definitely hard. And I think 
but there's only so much you can do you know like I, if I stay awake and you know I worry about that then it makes the carers pointless mm -hmm. and so I just have to put my trust in them and it's hard it sounds like you have to put your trust in a lot of people though yeah well main I would say mainly them because everybody else kind of goes through me so right. they tell me what to do and I do that with Jackson or I don't do that with mm -hmm. Jackson depending on what I see fit but with the carers they are trusted with him and I think again what comes into it is a lot of them always think he's so well because you know they've got kids that are oxygen or they've got kids that have got tracheostomies and they see them as more severe than Jackson yet they could may, those children might eat and you know they might not have a feeding tube but the level of severity is deemed by appearances and that's not necessarily the case and that's what's ended up in errors before and so you really have to drill it into people which is hard and that's probably aside from the battles that you fight it's hard to have to keep telling people how bad your child is when really all you want to do is celebrate their successes. It must be pretty hard when you've got a positive mindset as well yeah. and you're looking at it and celebrating those things that some of us would probably take for granted. Yeah. It seems to balance out at mm. the moment, but I guess you compartmentalise and there's good things and bad things with everything. And I would say the bad things with having a child with disability is the support system, is fighting for the funding and is... In order to fight to make sure that they get what they need, you have to drill into them what's bad. But then you also have to be content in yourself and knowing what's good. Because it's like my mum has always been scared of having Jackson. We've just come to an agreement to try and to have him for like a two-hour window on a Saturday. She's worried about doing something wrong. Or... Yeah, so she's terrified that she'll do something wrong and I'll hate her forever <laughs> because she's done something devastating. And it's trying to find that balance between I need to take it seriously enough because this is serious <laughs> but then equally it's not that bad it's like it's not that hard once you learn to feed a child through a tube and essentially feeding jackson is doing the puree but instead of you going in his mouth you're putting it in a syringe and you're pushing it in a tube that goes into his stomach and yeah you have to make sure he's sat up but wouldn't you most children you mm. wouldn't really feed them lying down yeah and you want people to just enjoy their time with him as yeah. well yeah, fully. And his nursery took a while with that as well, where they were so scared and they were having a lot of vomits. And him vomiting is very draining. Like, you're just like, you've just spent an hour putting food in and then all of a sudden it all comes back up. Mm. And he's traumatised and you're traumatised. It's very draining. And you sat up for two and a half hours or whatever and it's restricted in this chair. Now they've got the confidence with him. They are enjoying it more. Yeah. But it's just that process of getting past the nerves. And then we will get carers in that are overly confident because yeah. they've got children with tracheostomies and oxygens. And they think, oh, he's easy. Like, he's fine. Like, it's no problem. And you're just like, no, <laughs> you need to take this seriously. So it's always a balancing act. And I guess it just comes down to health and your child and mm. trying to find the balance between being mum and being carer and focusing on the good as well as the bad and sometimes when you you can sink into a moment but i feel like that's with everything if yeah. you sink into the bad you can really dwell on it and it can really affect you and you can it can be devastating but equally you could do the same with the good and it's sometimes it just takes a reminder like it's okay <laughs> like, it's gonna be okay like you you will get through it and i've, I've even been at points where i know mean, earlier this year i was really down but I was more of in like a funk and I was just like, when am I going to get out of this? And it was weeks and I was just like, I'm still waiting. <laughs> Is it going to stop yet? And then, and then, you know, a month or so later, happy as Larry again. But it, it's just peaks and troughs. And I feel like we just have that in life with everything. It can be work. It can be family relationships. It can be your child being unwell. There's always something. And I think one of the things I've learned is 
everyone's got something going on. Yeah. They might not be shouting about it. It might not be at the forefront. You might not see it on their Instagram or their Facebook, but everybody's got something going on. Everyone's got something they're struggling with. And I just feel like I wish disability and medical conditions were just talked about a bit more as a normal to yeah. try and bring that to the surface because it's not that we need to be talking about it because it's a problem. Obviously, there are problems <laughs> as with everything, but it's more just that it needs to be talked about to be a bit more normalised, to be a bit more part of a conversation. Communication is a huge barrier. So if we're opening it and we're talking about it, then people are learning, mm. people are understanding. And you don't know unless someone tells you, do you? <laughs> like, you really don't know unless someone literally says to you, this is this and this is how this happens and I need you to think about this, <laughs> yeah. you know? So... It's just not being dismissed because of a disability or like hiding in the shadows. and But that's changing and evolving with time as well, isn't it? So yeah. it's, it's just hoping for a more inclusive future. Yeah. Have you surprised yourself as a mum? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I surprised myself. I just did, I didn't expect any of this. <laughs> it's all quite bewildering. It's like... Who am I? What am I doing? Everything's just been turned on its head, hasn't yeah. it? Like the career, the relationship even, everything has just been turned on its head. So I'm living a completely different life to what I expected. And I would like to say I'm quite happy with the job I'm doing. So maybe I surprised myself in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think motherhood surprised me more than, <laughs> than I've surprised myself. With. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good way of putting it <laughs> I don't know if I'm surprised by me I'm surprised by motherhood um, I like what he's brought to the table he's brought, made me such a better person I just wasn't aware like I feel like I walked around with my eyes closed and it was all about me and my world and what I wanted to do and when you have a child it's all about them mm. and it just changes you and you see things so much differently and I didn't really touch on health promotion that much as a, a nurse institute, but now I love it. <laughs> like, you know, it just changes everything. Yeah, I'm happy with it though. I'm definitely happy. You wrote it. an amazing uh, piece actually on your blog, which says, uh, "Oh gosh, <laughs> when I became a mother, my whole world tipped upside down, and I felt feelings of joy, sadness, and fear so intense I didn't know how it was possible. When I became a mother, I discovered real love, real happiness, real responsibility, and real strength. When I became a mother, my life changed in ways I could never imagine. Some ways I'd never wanted it to, and other ways I've been missing my entire life without knowing. When I became a mother, despite the circumstances, diagnosis, and different path, I was blessed beyond belief. When I became a mother, I became more, more kind, more." compassionate more knowledgeable more aware more understanding more driven more determined and more compassionate more empathetic i became a better person because i became a mother oh so she said it better than me <laughs> <laughs> those are your words i read it the other day and much I was like, better at writing than talking <laughs> <laughs> are we all i can never structure a sentence it's fine and i just i think and you get that sense from what you're saying as well you mm. you become more well you have to don't you mm. And I find it surprising when some people say, you know, like, I couldn't do this. And you're like, you would. Like, you don't have a choice. You do. You know, if something happened tomorrow, you would do it. You would walk to the end of the earth for your child. And I wasn't aware of that before I had him. Yeah. <laughs> but now I know. And that, yeah, I'm quite impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, it's always great, isn't it? When you hear something you've written back and you go, oh, yeah, I did that really well. Actually, I don't me. think I've got any more to add to that. <laughs> Actually, well, the next book I've written is a collection of letters on motherhood. So I'm asking guests to kind of think about if you were going to write a letter, who would it be to and what would it say? I would write a letter to a new mum. 
mm-hmm. that felt alone. I would say, you know, it's scary. I know you're overwhelmed beyond belief. I know it's surprising you're in shock. You don't have enough time to digest what's going in and you feel alone, but you be surprised at how many people are in your shoes. And it can feel like you are the unique one because a lot of disabilities and medical conditions are are unique. They are rare, but the symptoms and the things that come with it, the tube feeds, the physical development delays, the emails that come through telling you they're doing something when they're not, the problems and the frustrations with communication and everything else, they're felt by so many other people. Statistically, literally, if there are 800,000 other disabled children in the UK, there are 800,000 mums in your position. Not exact, you're never going to find someone in your exact position, and that's okay, that makes you you. That's what every other mother experiences. No child in general is the same. But the main thing is you're not alone and you will find, it will get easier over time. You'll find your people, you'll accept it, and you'll learn to grow with it, and eventually you'll absolutely love it because it's brought so much to the table that you never knew even existed. And it is quite spectacular. And then you'd probably end it with a love Katie. Kiss, 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 kiss. <laughs> Katie and Jackson. Katie <laughs> <laughs> and Jackson. <laughs> and then we end each podcast with you finishing these three sentences. <laughs> Since being a mum, I... I've never been so tired. <laughs> <laughs> being a mum means... Putting somebody else before yourself in every single scenario. And I'm happy when... Jackson's happy. <laughs> Is that cliche? <laughs> Not at all. That's lovely. As a little something from us, we have put £5,000 into your account for you and Jackson. Oh, stop. Uh, for the future. <laughs> oh. Just a little something for a thank you. That is amazing. I can't thank you enough for that. I don't, I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm not speechless. I've always got something to say, but they just don't, they don't form sentences properly. You don't need to. You don't need to. It's just a little something to make it easier going forward so you don't have to battle quite so much. That's amazing. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you very much for coming on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.